Hi, I'm Jennifer, and uh, very pleased to meet you. If I haven't met you before, I hope I will after this service. And uh, welcome to all of you watching online as well. Uh, I hope that you were listening to Hannah's announcements earlier. There is a lot going on here at our church this month, um, more than any one person can probably even know about. Uh, one of the things that you probably don't know about that we do as a ministry here is that about once a month, I go to Chartwell Crescent Gardens Retirement Community with a rotating team of about 10 volunteers, and we do a worship service there for the seniors. I can always use more volunteers for that, by the way, because we've had three other care homes approach me in the last month to ask if we would come and do a service. And I don't know if we can do all of them, but maybe we can if we have enough people that want to go and visit. So we prioritize visiting care homes that don't have a chaplain or any other worship services that take place there. So once a month on Sunday afternoon, we go to Crescent Gardens and we do a brief service, about 45 minutes. I don't preach a sermon. We just do scripture readings and hymns and prayer all around a theme. So last week when we were there, we did the theme of hope. And the interesting, is, the interesting thing is that Brian was supposed to be up here preaching today, and uh, he's unfortunately trying to recover from pneumonia. So please pray for Pastor Brian this week that he'll be well and healthy for the Christmas season. So he asked me on Wednesday if I could preach today. That's a short time to prepare, but thankfully God had already prepared me because we had focused on the theme of hope last Sunday at this other service. So I already had a scripture in mind and some thoughts and um, it just reminded me once again that God is always preparing us for what's to come. He's always working, whether we know it or not. And whatever you are going through today, whether it's good or bad, uh, it will be used to help you or someone else in the future. This has happened to me over and over. And uh, one of the lovely seniors at this care home also gave me a booklet that was written by his son. And his son passed away at about my age from cancer. And he had numerous hospital stays. And during those stays, he wrote this booklet about what God had taught him through his suffering. And he wrote in particular about how some of the isolation that he experienced in childhood and some of the work he had done studying the Bible on his own had helped him to cope with these long days alone in the hospital. And so he was able to give God thanks and praise for preparing him for what he had to go through. So even in a painful situation like that, God, God is working and he prepares us for whatever it is that we may need to face. And this man could give thanks in all circumstances because he saw the hand of the Lord in his life. I just wanted to encourage all of you with those stories because I've seen this over and over, that God is a really great planner. And uh, things that take us by surprise, don't take him by surprise. He is always ready for what's going to happen. And he uses all our past experiences to help us in the future. I used to have a job in a daycare, and I took early childhood education classes before I ever knew that I was going to have four kids. Uh, I grew up with parents who both had serious chronic illnesses uh, before I ever knew I was going to be a pastor ministering mainly to seniors. And uh, I worked closely with a transgender high school student at a coffee shop many years before I had my own child come out as transgender. And so my past has prepared me so well for the circumstances that I face today. And I think that is true for everyone. 
when we're following Jesus, God prepares us in advance for everything, and none of our experiences get wasted. He has good plans for us. He builds up our strength before we even know that we're going to need it. And that is such a hopeful thought for me. I am so grateful God knows the future and uh, gets us ready for it, whether we realize it or not. So I am excited that today is the first Sunday of Advent on this theme of hope. And we're going to look specifically at Psalm 27, which Pastor Hannah just read for us. And I realized for the first time last week in preparing for the seniors' service that this psalm is actually all about how to hope in the Lord, even though it never once uses the word hope. But if you understand what hope is, you can see it so clearly in this psalm. Hope is so much more than just a wish or a desire for something. Biblical hope is this confident expectation that what God has promised is going to happen. And so in this psalm, David keeps talking about what he's going to do and what God is going to do. Not because he knows the future, but because he has hope that God's promises to him are all going to be fulfilled. And then he wraps it up at the end so beautifully by saying, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Uh, that sounds like hope to me. Have hope is what he's saying at the end. And often we hear the three virtues of faith, hope, and love together. So it's helpful if we can understand a bit of the difference between faith and hope. Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith for us. And it says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So hope is actually part of that definition of faith. Faith is what we hope for. And so it's the part of faith that's focused on the future. Faith and hope are very closely related, but faith can also be focused on the past, of things God has done in the past that we have faith in. For example, I could say, I have faith that God made a new covenant with humanity through Jesus Christ. Or I, faith can mean trusting him today in the present. I could say, I have faith that the Holy Spirit dwells within me today. But um, as John Piper, the famous theologian, has said, hope is faith in the future tense. So we can talk in general about having faith in God's promises, but if we're talking about the future, it's more precise to say we have hope that God's promises will be fulfilled. Now, Psalm 27 that we read is full of faith and hope. And I hope that if you haven't taken out your Bibles or your phone to look at Psalm 27, that you'll do that because I'm going to refer to this verse or that verse, and it might be helpful for you to be able to see that in front of you. There's a pew, a pew Bible right in front of you as well if you don't have one with you. Um, so in this psalm, there's faith and hope, and it's all in poetry, of course, so it's full of these beautiful images about battles and temples and crowds shouting with joy, these images that are speaking of God's protection and the future victory that David expects to see in his life. And I say the future victory because most Bible scholars think that this psalm, Psalm 27, was actually written when David was in exile. He had King Saul chasing him through the wilderness, and you can read about that in the latter half of the book of 1 Samuel. So David wasn't king yet when he wrote this. God had promised him he would be king, but Saul didn't like that idea at all, of course, and was trying to kill him. So I think David wrote this psalm to encourage himself to keep focused on God's promise, to have hope in God. And it's the perfect psalm for us to read when we're feeling like nothing is working out the way it should, 
or we're uh, discouraged or frustrated or misunderstood or we've been wronged, this is a great psalm to go to. I really like imagining Mary reading this psalm when she was pregnant with Jesus and everyone thought she had cheated on Joseph. I'm sure it would have helped her to find some hope, especially verse 10. It says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. That would have meant a lot to her, I bet, especially if her parents didn't believe her testimony about Jesus' miraculous conception, which realistically they probably didn't. They might have had some questions. And by the way, if you've never watched the movie The Nativity Story that came out in 2006, you really should. It's a great uh, movie adaptation of the Christmas story. And um, it made me think about how hard it would have been for Mary and Joseph to have hope in the circumstances that they were in. Um, it wouldn't have seemed very hopeful for them for a while. And we forget often that Christmas was actually a crisis for the people that lived through it. So in Psalm 27, there's several important themes, though, that are braided together in this psalm, and David keeps coming back to these themes that teach us how to hope. And so we need reminding, because we often forget how to hope. Hope is hard. Hope takes a lot of effort and practice, actually. It's much easier and comes more naturally to lose hope and to feel hopeless. At least it is for me. I have a list that I look at quite often from the days when I was doing some counseling, and uh, I was clinically depressed, and this counselor gave me a list of cognitive distortions. That's a fun term, right? I still have it if anybody wants to read it. I look at it a lot. Um, This list of the common unhelpful ways of thinking that we often have to work on. And so many of them we do without realizing when we're feeling hopeless or discouraged. Things like discounting the positive. We only see the negative stuff, right? or magnification, where some little thing has become this huge deal to us, or fortune-telling, which is where we just assume everything's going to go badly, everything's going to go wrong. And I see in Psalm 27 some helpful ideas that counter those cognitive distortions, and they remind us how to hope. And so even though this is a poem, it's not a how-to list, I'm going to make us a how-to list based on this poem, some of David's ideas here. And I think we can Boil it down to four instructions about how to hope. We don't have to do them in order or even do all of them. It's just that there's four strategies here that I see David using to find hope, and I think we can learn from those strategies. So the first one, remember who God is to you. If you look at verse 1, how does David start this poem? Well, he starts by asking himself who God is to him, and he gives God three titles. He says, God is my light, my salvation, the stronghold of my life. And then later on in verse 9, he calls God his helper and his savior. So he's given God all of these names that are very personal to him. And so what would you call God based on how you've experienced him to be? If you had to personally give God a title or a description, what would you call him? There's lots of examples of this in scripture. Hagar called God the one who sees me. Abraham called God Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Moses called the Lord his banner. Gideon called God his peace. And there's so many more examples. ChristianAnswers.net lists 952 different names and titles for God in the Bible. So what would you call God based on your relationship with him so far? 
Um, based on what I shared earlier, I might call God my trainer because I have so often experienced God training me, preparing me for things before they happen. And, and how's that going to help me have hope? Well, if Jesus is my trainer and he has prepared me throughout my life for the exact situation that I find myself in today, then I can have hope that he's still doing that and that some of the things that I find difficult or confusing right now in my life are going to work out for good and make sense someday. And I'm going to see how those things prepared me for what's to come. In this psalm, David calls God his stronghold because David had been protected from all of his enemies so far. He was still alive. He was on the run, but Saul hadn't killed him. He was okay. And so David called God his stronghold, and he had hope that God was going to continue to be his stronghold. He was going to continue to protect him. The Bible tells us many times that God doesn't change in his character. So if we've found him to be a certain way, then he's always going to be that way. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So whatever we discover about God's character is going to be true of him forever. If he's been our comfort, then he's always going to be our comforter. If he has forgiven us, he's always going to be our forgiver. He doesn't change. And that is an incredible hope to have when everything and everyone around us is always changing. God's going to stay the same. And so think about who God has been to you in your life. And maybe even try giving him a new name or a title that means something personal to you. And then remind yourself of that often. Use that name in prayer as you talk to God. Because remembering who God has been to us is this first strategy for finding hope. The second thing I think David does is he chooses to seek God's face. Seek God's face. Because if knowing God more intimately helps us have hope, then we should seek to know him even more, right? To find God is to find hope. So David says in verse 4, This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. And then later in verse 8, he again keeps encouraging himself to seek God. He says, my heart says of you, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. He's talking back and forth to himself here, right? He's making himself this promise that he's going to keep on seeking God, even when it's hard, even when he feels hopeless. And then even later on in verse 11, he asks God to teach him his way. And that's another form of seeking God, asking God for insight. This is a really important principle for a strategy for finding hope, because so often when we're looking for hope, we think what we need are practical solutions. Like we might say, oh, I, I, I got in a car accident, I wrecked my car, but I have hope because I have insurance and the mechanic's looking at it this week, so everything's going to be okay. We put our hope in our plans, or in other people, or in our resources. But David has this massive problem of being hunted and attacked by his enemies, and he doesn't say, there's hope because I've got a solution. There's hope because I've got somewhere better to hide, or I've got more people coming to my army, or I've got a big stockpile of weapons. No. He says that true hope is only found in God. So his response to his problem is to seek to be closer to God and to increase his trust in God. 
He doesn't put his hope in his own power or strength or his own plans. So in this very stressful and discouraging time, David chose deliberately to set his relationship with God up above everything else, his first priority in life. He recommits himself in this psalm to worshiping God, to seeking God, learning from God, and following the way that God reveals to him. That's how he nurtured his hope, and that's how we can nurture our hope too. Seeking God is going to mean more than just coming to church on Sundays. It's going to mean making time on your own to read the scriptures and pray and talk to God about your life. It's going to mean learning from other believers within this church family or others that you know. It's going to mean maybe studying or maybe some counseling or maybe some change to your well-worn habits. It's going to mean actual effort seeking God. But the more you seek God, the more you're going to discover. And I love this quote from Rob Reamer, who's the author of a great book that's in our church library called Soul Care. He said, we can have as much of God as we want, but no more than we're willing to pay the price for. I'll read that again, because I've had to mull it over for a couple of years now. I keep thinking about it. We can have as much of God as we want, but no more than we are willing to pay the price for. Meaning it takes effort and sacrifice to get to know God, to become more intimate with God. Just like any relationship in our life takes work and investment and time. But we have this great promise from Jesus that when we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then all these other worries of life are going to be taken care of as well. Not that all our problems are going to be solved, but we will have hope in the midst of them when we're seeking him first. The third strategy, the third thing David does to find hope is to imagine the future positively according to God's promises. And this is the bulk of the psalm, actually. David writes a lot about the future and what will happen. It's all in future tense. He describes the ideal outcomes for some potential situations that he might face. So in verses 2 and 3, He describes how he will stay confident and unafraid even if war breaks out against him. He reminds himself that wicked people are not going to ultimately succeed. He knows that because God has promised him he's going to be king someday, so he knows he's going to make it. And then in verses 5 and 6, he says God is going to keep him safe, God's going to exalt him above his enemies, and that he will go and worship the Lord with joy. That's my favorite part of the psalm. So look at how David really describes the future in detail here. He doesn't just say to himself, oh, I'm going to be okay. No, he says, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. So he imagines this whole beautiful triumphant scene In detail, he gives himself a mental image of victory that he can cling to. Now, we tend to do the opposite when we're feeling hopeless. We worry and imagine all the details of what could go wrong, right? We use the tool of our imagination to create bad scenarios. Well, we need to use that tool in a better way. We can use our imagination to create good scenarios and to force ourselves to consider not what if everything goes wrong, but what if everything goes right? 
How could God triumph in this situation? What might Jesus' victory look like in, in this problem or in this relationship or in this circumstance? What promises has God given that I can cling to and apply to this situation? What good does God want to make out of all this mess? You might say, well, I'm, I'm not very creative. I can't, you know, I'm not a poet like David. I can't imagine things very well. If you can worry, then you're creative enough, okay? <laughs> All you have to do is do the opposite. Instead of imagining the negative outcomes, try and imagine the positive ones. And I think this is a way that we can reflect God's character, actually. I think God does this all the time. He looks at the mess of our world, and he imagines something better. And he, then he actually creates it, because he is God. So he looked at broken, fallen humanity in all of our selfishness and pride, the ways we were wrecking his creation, and he thought, what if these people were saved from the power of sin and were filled with my own Holy Spirit? What if I gave them my own power to live in the best way possible? They could be my sons and daughters, these people. They could be my witnesses. They could be the very body of Christ on earth. They could be a holy priesthood. They could spread my love and joy and peace around the world. This could be changed. And so aren't you glad that God has such a good imagination? He chooses to have hope for us rather than just wipe us out and be done with it. So I think imagining a better future and planning for all that could go right can actually make us more like God. And it's going to make us filled with hope. In Romans it says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So that means no matter what happens, God's love for us reassures us that our hope is not in vain. Because God loves us, he's always working for the ultimate good of his children. So it's not crazy to imagine the best possible future that we can think of. We're not going to outdo God at this. God's plans are better than we can even ask or imagine. And so choosing to imagine the future positively and thinking on God's promises and how they could apply in this situation, that's a powerful way to find hope. And then the last strategy, number four. Wait confidently for the Lord. I just love this last verse in the psalm. He says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So David knows that hope means patiently waiting. Hope is focused on the future after all, right? It's faith in the future tense. And so it's not about what we see in the present. It's what we're anticipating. So to hope is to wait. Romans 8.25, it says, If we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. If we hope, we wait. We wait patiently with confident expectation because we know God's going to fulfill his promises no matter how long it may take. You heard in one of the songs about 400 years, that was a reference to the last book of the prophets being written, and then 400 years for Israel with no more prophets, with no more word from God, silence. They didn't know why God wasn't speaking to them until Jesus came. So no matter how long it takes, God is going to fulfill his promises. And so we can be confident of that. David uses the word confident twice in just these 14 verses, actually. Verse 3 and verse 13, you see it there. 
Because of how faithful God was in the past, then he's confident God's going to be faithful to do all he's promised for the future. None of us like waiting, though, do we? We don't, we don't like waiting. Our kids are anxious for Christmas. We're anxious for a break from work. or We're waiting for things to get better in this way or that way. We don't like waiting. Waiting feels pointless to us. We think, why all this delay? Why not just get on with it? But waiting confidently for the Lord is actually an exercise in hope. It's a virtue. It's a valuable opportunity to trust God for what we don't yet see. This is something he values when we wait confidently with hope. And so if you're in a season of waiting for something, whatever it is, then you can choose to make that season of waiting a season of hope, or you can choose to make that a season of stress and worry about the thing you're waiting for. I would rather wait in hope than wait in angst, wouldn't you? Even if I don't eventually even get what I was hoping for, why wait in angst? And so David is confident that he's going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Not someday in heaven when he's with God, but now, today, here, in some way, we're going to see the goodness of the Lord. And we can be confident of that too. We can always have hope in God's goodness because God is going to be good no matter how our particular circumstances turn out. He's always going to be love. He's always going to be peace. And so he's going to be all those names and titles that we give to him based on our own experiences, right? He's always going to be our savior, our comforter, our healer, our trainer, or whatever other title we give him to express how he has helped us. Our hope is that God is going to be there. It's in himself not in things turning out how we want. So since we know God will be there in the future and he will be the same, then we can have that confident hope that we will see his goodness in and through whatever happens. I'd like to end our sermon here with some song lyrics, which seems appropriate since we've just been analyzing David's song lyrics, but these ones are a little more recent. Um, I was listening to a song this week called Take It All In by Group One Crew, and I was preparing of course, to preach on hope, and so the word hope jumped out from this song at me. Um, so I'll read you a bit of the lyrics, and I realized the whole song is really about waiting in hope. Take it all in, take it all in, hope in the grace that he so freely gives. Every sunrise, every new day is a gift. Don't take it for granted. Every hard time, every heartbreak is another chance to walk by faith. When you feel lost, at the bottom, maybe down, but you're not forgotten. Breathe in the moments that take your breath away. Taste and see everything the Maker's made. Take it all in. Take it all in. And that's what we've got to do while we wait. Hope in the grace that he so freely gives. Every single day, new mercies, right? And so how do we do that? How do we hope? We remember who God is to us. We seek his face. We imagine the future positively, and then we wait confidently. So may God help us to hope every single day and remind us of these things when we start to lose our hope. Would you pray with me? Lord, you know that we are prone to hopelessness, even though you are the greatest hope we could ever have. Your goodness is with us every day. Your love surrounds us and protects us. Lord, you are our Savior, and we thank you so much 
that you are always willing to forgive, always willing to listen. Lord, that we can come to you with confidence and with expectation that you are working out a way to fulfill your promises in our lives. Lord, would you help us to do these things that David does, to become, Lord, people that seek your face diligently with all of the effort and care and, um, and passion that you deserve. Lord, help us even during this Advent season to focus on you more than maybe we ever have at Christmas to truly make this season about who you are and what you have done. Lord, may we experience hope in a fresh way, both today and in the coming weeks. Thank you that you are at work in us and you will be faithful. Amen.